Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week, um, this is actually very exciting. We are reviewing A Collapse of Horses by Brian Evanson, who has been reviewed um, once, right? Well, only one review, but we had him on for two interviews. It's a little weird, right? <laughs> yeah. You Rarely does the do the interviews outnumber the actual reviews, but yeah. Right. So we, interview, we interviewed we interviewed him as part of our Warmed and Bound um sessions uh, sessions um god four years ago now a little over four years ago um and then we reviewed that rob zombie what the hell is it called lords of salem lords of salem i don't know why i can't come up with that i've called it salem witch trials the witch trials the <laughs> rob zombie witch movie lords of salem which he did the novelization of and then uh, we talked to him again and now we're reviewing a collection of his short stories entitled a Collapse of Horses, which is a really, really cool title, by the way. Yeah. So um, here is a little bit about um, Brian Evanson. Praised by Peter Straub for going furthest out on the sheerest, least sheltered <laughs> narrative precipice, Brian Evanson is the recipient of three O. Henry Prizes and has been a finalist for the Edgar Award, the Shirley Jackson Award, and the World Fantasy Award. He is also the winner of the International Horror Guild Award and the American Library Association's Award for Best Horror Novel. And his work has been named in Time Out New York's Top Books. And it's been mentioned several times here on Booked. Oh, that last part was in there too? Yeah. Yep. yep. It's weird that it would say here on Booked. I know, right? Someone's got to do some editing for this guy. <laughs> awesome. Um, Evanson's a good man too. Like uh always very gracious with his time and super nice and everything like that uh so we he's a buddy but he's also a damn good writer yeah i wish god i gotta find some time for you to read last days because i really fucking love that it's pretty short and it's fantastic and it's something i need to revisit but probably after i read the rest of his stuff i'm thinking yeah last days that is one that gets thrown around a lot i mean i know you read that when we were doing warmed and bound right yeah, that was that was my at that point I was attempting something by everybody we interviewed, which was fucking stupid. I mean, in retrospect, not only did we kill ourselves doing that, but yeah, I was trying to like cram in novellas and stuff in between. The it's funny to kind of in retrospect look at the things we're no longer willing to do, like um, because <laughs> we were insane when we first got started. We did seventeen interviews, one per day, and um. That was all while I was moving from Vermont to Illinois. So there was like a point where there was a certain number of interviews that were already recorded that needed to be edited, um, stories that needed to get read, calls that needed to be made to record episodes, mm-hmm. and I had to drive 900 miles with all my worldly possessions. Rob, that might be the last time I edited an episode because I think I did a couple of those. <laughs> you did. You definitely did edit a few of those episodes, and thank you for that. Um Glad I could but, be of help. If you need something in the next four years or so, let me know. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, here's the thing: we're gonna, we're about to hit 300 episodes, and you'll be able to say, "Yeah, I did a couple of those." Yeah, back third number 35 was mine. <laughs> number 39, <laughs> like yeah. Uh, so, as Olivia's mentioned, we are reviewing. This is a collection of short stories by Brian Evanson, and anybody who has not listened to us review a collection before, we have a little bit of a unique approach for that. So what we've done before we got uh, we started recording was each of us chose three, our top three favorite stories 
So we're going to go, we're going to alternate. One of us will talk about one of our top three, and then we'll go to the other person. We'll go back and forth until we've talked about all of those stories. Um, so it ends up being seven out of what, I think, 18 or so stories in the book. All right. I am going to uh, have the pleasure of uh, kicking this off. Uh, my first story I want to talk about is um, a report. And, and sorry, the way we did this, I have a little L. I was going to call it L.A. report. That doesn't make any sense. So it's yeah. a report. <laughs> um, so this is a, a story that's that's a little odd. And, and I've 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 seen things kind of similar to this. I mean, this type of, of trope, I guess. But there's a, a man who is imprisoned. So he's asked to give a report by the powers that be the the nondescript powers that be. And then he's immediately jailed. And he doesn't know for what, and he really doesn't understand anything that's going on uh, around him. So he knows there's other prisoners. There's really kind of weird things going on. And there is a ton of, I have to say, it's kind of psychological torture in this, which I thought was just brilliant. Yeah. One of those, I think that you might notice a theme in the Evanson stories is a lot of the scary stuff is the stuff that we don't really know what's going on. He does a lot of like uh, horror by omission, I guess is, would be one way to say it. And um, so, yeah, there's um, the unknowing, the not knowing why, the not knowing what's coming and stuff for me was a big part of the story that was um, that made it kind of the creepy what the hell's going on thing. Yeah, this, this may come up later too, but I, I almost feel... And, and I'm sure these weren't written in, in any particular order. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like he sat down to write a short story collection. At least I don't feel that's what happened. But almost like he watched a bunch of, a, a bunch of like, programs or read a bunch of books on weird psychological torture. Because it does come up here and there through the course of this of this collection. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really think about that, but that's definitely true. Um, I'm trying to decide what I want to do first. I realize I took all the sad ones or I don't, know if you, I don't know if you took all the sad ones. All, right. all the ones you took <laughs> were sad. I don't know if you could really, you only had three. Um, so let's talk about, um, Bearheart. Um, Bearheart is a story about, uh, a, a couple that is expecting their first child. And they run across a flyer in the in a in a doctor's office advertising a service where you go to the, a location and they record the the beating of your baby's heart while it's you know before you give birth while it's you know still in utero and um, then they put it inside a machine uh, they put the heartbeat sound inside of a teddy bear so you can have the beating heart sound of your child coming from a teddy bear um and then so it all sounds nice and interesting but uh it was a little weird because it was the only flyer there and um so they decided to take advantage of the service but what happens after that um is is really where the the sadness and the the horror happens um all i'm gonna say is this teddy bear a little bit creepy all right, so um, this is a real thing. Do you, are you aware of this? Um, 
it sounded like it was real enough to be a real thing. And I know that Evanson um, has recently had children, so it'd be something that would be on his radar. So I guessed it was real. So I'm talking to a former coworker today who's very pregnant. She's like eight months pregnant, and she had some some of those really creepy ultrasound pictures, you know, like the 3D yeah. ones. Yeah. And I said, oh, oh, this picture's kind of nice. And she goes, oh, yeah, that's that's the heartbeat. But she was very dismissive of it as a photo, which I thought was really cool because they had the little wave. What are they called? The wave? Waveforms? Waveforms of the heartbeat. Yeah. I go, no, no, that's really cool. And she goes, no, it's, it's all right. I, I've got a bear coming. And you were like, no, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I was like, you know, I read this thing. She's like, I don't want to hear about anything you read. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so she's wise. Yeah, she is. So, any rate, yeah. Not only is that a thing, but uh, it's a thing that, that someone I know is doing. I, I will. I'll follow up in a few months if there's any weird things going. Yeah, on. we're gonna we're gonna monitor this closely. Uh, yeah, really, um, really. You know, here's the whole thing. You, you have to know where the story's going, even if we don't give it away, right? Like it's it seems pretty obvious. Um, yeah. You know, probably the saddest story in here, um, but well written and and interesting, good story. You know, and I couldn't help thinking of um, Winky. Oh was... yeah, yep. God, Winky. Anybody's... Oh, throwback book. That's there a deep is. cut. We never reviewed it, but we talked about it several times in earlier episodes in the in the double digits episodes way back in the day. I'm going to have to look that guy up and see if he's done anything else because Winky was uh, was pretty special. Do you remember his name? Because I know it. Oh, God, that's just weird that you know it. No, I have no idea what his name is. Clifford Chase. Oh, but now that you said it, it sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> like, I think I worked with that guy. <laughs> I have such a weird brain for things like that. All right. My next um, story I want to talk about is um, Seaside Town, which is a really weird story. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's one of my favorite stories. I'm not even really sure what happened in this story, and it's one of my favorite stories. Um, it's a middle-aged man, right? Kind of dating this this younger woman. Um, he's kind of one of these stay-at-home, not really interested in doing things. This woman that he's involved with convinces him to go to Europe. They wind up in this little seaside town in France, but like she's gonna like run off and still do like a tour of Europe over a few days. They wind up with this weird John Malkovich, um, being John Malkovich style hotel room that's like in between the floors and just weird shit ensues. Um, really like the feel of it. it. And it felt very different, I think, from almost all the other stories. Yeah. Um, before I say what I thought it felt like, um, as you described this story, I was thinking that sounds like every time I hang out with Livius. <laughs> You just want to stay in, not do anything. Yep. I thought I thought we were going to like seaside with, resort towns uh, or whatever in, <laughs> in France together. But, hang out you know, with younger ladies. It, it is, yeah, it is, it is that that other way, yeah. <laughs> um, I got a kind of a feel of uh, at the water's edge. Do you remember that? I think that was. Called. I do. That was just a few months ago. My memory does stretch back that far. The Loch Ness monster people, or whatever. Yep. Yeah, a little bit like that. Yeah, yeah, I could see that too. Um, really enjoyable, really weird. Like I said, I'm still not really clear on everything that happened in that story, and, and usually that's reason for me to, to not, you know what I mean, to not pick a story as a favorite, but that did not keep that from happening this time. Yeah. My second story is called Torpor. 
Um, it's a short story. I think it's only like four or five pages. So it's, I believe it's the shortest story in the book. And essentially what happens is this woman, um, when she, she has some problem with pain in her hands and it doesn't sound arthritic. It sounds like something else. Like it might be like nervous system related or something. I don't remember exactly, but, um, if she doesn't, when she's going to sleep, um, she discovers over the course of experiencing this pain that the only way that she, she can feel comfortable enough to fall asleep is when her husband is laying on his side and she puts her hands up on his arm and um, falls asleep that way. That's the only way that she can feel comfortable enough to fall asleep, which goes uh, fine until he has an accident and loses his arm. And, uh, (laughs) so i mean weird enough to begin with but then he loses his arm and she has to find ways to get back to that level of comfort because it just she's back to kind of square one so she makes some extreme choices to uh to get back that restful sleep yeah restlessness ensues as you were talking it it almost sounded like it was heading to be one of those commercials like ask your doctor about you know right (laughs) <laughs> Rob Sleepia or something that would be some some medication. Um, I will say yes, I really like that story, and and that story along with and I didn't mention this is is one of my favorites, but um, cult. Um, both of them are um a little bit standout in that they're really the only um really non supernatural, non weird. Like they're just about relationships, right? So she just has a legitimate medical issue. He winds up losing a limb. These are things that happen. Um, cult is, a uh, about a man who's in basically a, a somewhat abusive relationship. And they're they're They both, even though they fit very well in this collection could have been pulled out and put into something that really into a collection that didn't have anything supernatural or weird or whatever going on in it. Like this yeah. anthology has elements of horror and there's some, even a little bit of science fiction, uh, a lot of supernatural, but these two don't, you know, don't, don't really, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. My third and final story is the title story, a collapse of horses. Um, there's really, um, and what can I say about this? It's it's about a, a guy's descent into madness. I don't want to give anything away here, but I will say there's an element where he's not sure if he has three or four kids. And something about that, it probably put me the closest to maybe the insight into somebody who's really just gone fucking crazy. Maybe of any story that I've ever read. Wow. Okay just that little element was enough for, you know, cause it's always like, Oh, I'm seeing shit and there's voices in my head and there's whatever. But just that thought of, he's not really sure. Sometimes he thinks there's four. Sometimes he only thinks there's three. And like the process he uses to try to prove or, or disprove how many children there are. Uh, it, it really got me. And it, and it's, it's, you know, of the three, and I don't usually do them in order, but of the three that I just mentioned, it, it's, it's my favorite story. That one was really good. Um, and because it has such a weird title, um, what I will add to what Livius already said is that the uh, the title does make sense. It does come up in a practical way in the story. Um, and if you were to go over to This Is Horror, I'm still, I can still say that because we haven't heard the results of the This Is Horror Awards. So there's no reason to, if we, if, if, 
the actual impossible happen and we didn't take the award, there's no reason to hate them yet. So, um, yet. Brian Evan, what's that? Not yet. Not yet. Brian Evanson was on, uh, and they talked about the book and he explained where the idea of a collapse of horses came from. So that's an interesting little story over there. I very briefly wondered if that's what you actually called a group of horses. Right. <laughs> um, I don't think so. Right. No, I think it's a herd. Yeah. Oh, maybe yeah. it's not a herd. Crap. I don't know. Not, uh. Well, you're going to have plenty of time to figure that out while I'm talking about my final story. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Which is called Click. So Click, I think Livius and I, I don't know if we did this intentionally, but both saved the insane guy stories for last. Uh, this story has a person wake up in the hospital um, to the news that he's being accused of multiple murders. So he doesn't have a memory of anything that happened before waking up. Uh, he has a, an understanding of, of language and, and general cultural things, but he doesn't have any kind of personal life memories. So he's uh, at the mercy of the people he talks to and he's completely immobilized, at least at first. So, um, it's interesting because he has to try and glean information from what he observes and, and from what people are saying to him, but the things that people are saying to him are madly unreliable and, um, and, and it's just one, it's like chipping away credibility, like one bit of information at a time. So instead of like building toward a better understanding of whatever happened before, this story consistently throws more and more doubt into the mix. And, um, and the way it culminates is really, really an interesting Livius. I think your note was uh, interesting twist or cool twist or something like that. Interesting twist. And I all agree with that. Yeah. Really, really probably the weirdest story in this book, right? When you talk about that ending. <laughs> yeah. When you talk about what ends up happening, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, and then, so, so that's it. That's, that's three and three, right? We got our three out of the way. Yeah. Rob and I um, negotiated, <laughs> discussed, agreed <laughs> I, to. I, I talked you into. Yeah, no, no. And and, and I, 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 I agree. It, you know, I'll be honest with you. It's probably a toss up for me between The Punish and A Collapse of Horses. So um, The Punish, we have an anthology winner. One story that we can agree stands out above um, all others. Um, Rob, I'm going to let you do the honors on this one. So this is a story that starts out uh, with an event that took place in, in the childhood of our characters, and then it resolves, the story resolves in the adulthood of the characters. And for some reason for me, that's always like, a, I don't know, it's an interesting thing to use in a story, um, that kind of thing that carries with you throughout life. And it was obviously a big enough event that it um, it stayed with someone so long. But what happens is, these two childhood friends who just by it's kind of like a different side of the tracks kind of thing, but not, um, uh, not money bound. Just like there's the one lives on one in one district and one in the other. So they never, there's actual tracks. <laughs> Are there? No, no. Yeah. It's, um, uh, they go to different churches and schools and everything, but they're, they live close by and they're, they become friends with each other. Um, and they come up with kind of a game called the punish which is essentially i guess the easiest way i could explain it is the impression i got was it was like an escalating like back and forth of dares right it's so like yes. one that's how i took it yep one kid would either do something 
and then the other one had to one up it or one kid dared someone to do something and then the other one had to one up that whatever but it's that kind of idea until um the protagonist uh kind of is on the receiving end of of kind of the final punish before the parents get involved and they freak out and they don't let the kids talk to each other anymore and then decades go by there's a chance encounter in adulthood and it kind of brings back around um the punish and it's just a really interesting i don't want to give it away but um it's an interesting story and it's well written and um for me the compelling thing about it is just like that that thing that carries through like almost an entire lifetime and and not not to speak for you, but I think it's always impressive because in a in a relatively short story like that, you can cover that much ground. And, and I think I mean I felt like I knew everything I needed to know about those two characters because it started in their childhood yeah. and then moved forward. So it's impressive when an author can really give you range. That's not your your typical short story. And when I say typical, I don't know how typical, but I mean so most of the short stories we read all took place over the course of a day or three days or four days, yeah. right? This one, like you said, kind of spans maybe 30 years. Yeah. Uh, and, and you still get a good feeling for for who the people are that are involved. And yeah, it was it was delivered very well. And, and it was a very interesting story. There's some other things going on in that story from the childhood <laughs> part that I really kind of thought were interesting, too. And again, I don't want to give anything away, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. Um, and again, that kind of touches on... Um, a little bit of, of unsureness. We don't really know what happened, but that unsureness is what makes it kind of creepy and weird. There is one of my favorite things about the story in general was how this could have been anybody like this could have been a memory from my childhood. And it was one of those really grounded in reality kind of stories. Like you were saying with those other two. Mm-hmm. Um, and that adds the creepiness because like, if I was sitting down with Brian Evanson, he could have told me that as a story he thought of or as a memory from childhood. And that's kind of messed up if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's why I said it, it, it's a it's a different type of story. And there are a few, you know, I mean, even the people going crazy that always I don't want to say because it's not a supernatural um, and people like lose their shit. Right. Like it, yeah. it's, a, it's a condition. It, it's a it's an illness that people can have. But ultimately that those types of stories almost always involve the supernatural element. So right. going back to a collapse of horses, we know that the man's mentally ill, but like not knowing if he has three or four children is a creepy factor of being mentally ill. Seeing things that aren't there is a creepy factor. And and this doesn't, um, this doesn't, this story doesn't call on any illusion. Yeah. There's no distortion of reality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, overall, uh, excellent, excellent story. Yeah. So, so that's it. We, you heard our three picks. You heard that there is a, a collection winner, which um, now our, our record is one or, or however many for like we only had we had we had one that didn't have a winner. The other I think all the other collections and anthologies that we've done have had a, a, a kind of a solid winner in the in the bunch. Um, guess we should uh, wrap it up and give it some stars, eh? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I haven't read enough Brian Evanson. I mean, that's really what it, what it kind of boils down to. Um, I read a novelization, which I, although it was very well written, 
um, you know, he's really retelling someone else's story. So Last Days was brilliant. There was so much good stuff in here. Um, you know, we didn't talk about it, so I'll mention it now. There's uh, there's two stories that are slightly interconnected. When I got to that, that creeped me out a little bit, uh, which was done very, very well. Um, overall, fairly chilling. Um, even the stories that were very grounded in reality, as we mentioned, kind of had their own chill factor to them. Um, it, it was it was just a really good and really engrossing read. Um, it's been a while since we reviewed a collection from just one person, right? Was, was um, yeah, I don't remember. Right, so we've done some anthologies, but this is the first collection we've read in a long time. Yeah, um, yeah. And we definitely, I think, picked uh, picked the right guy to read. Overall, I really like this. A, a lot of bite-sized stories, something you could enjoy over the course of a few weeks, just reading one or two at a time. I'm going to go ahead and pretty highly recommend this. I'm going to give it four stars. All right. Um, here's the thing I think about when I think about Brian Evanson. Um, you read his writing and just you're you have no choice but to realize how good of a writer he is how skilled of a writer he is um he doesn't shy away from subject matter as is um obvious from one of the stories starts i think with just raining human meat from the sky um (laughs) so yeah (laughs) there's really nothing that's off limits (laughs) as far as like gory or creepy and things like that um and i don't know just the the man in general we've had him on like we said we've had him on the uh the podcast for interviews twice and every time i think about it i think there's got to be a billion other things that were a better use of his time than, than talking to us based on just like how talented he is and you know just how established he is in the writing community and, and everything he does so um, I'm eternally grateful for the time that he's given to us. Um, but, um, you know, the, the writing itself stands on its own. It's some of the best writing that you'll find. So I'm going to go ahead. I mean, in general, but also specifically this collection of stories. So we're giving it four and a half stars. Yeah, this was, this was a, uh, uh an 11th hour pick by Rob. And I was like, this is great. <laughs> and then I started reading it like, I don't know, the next morning. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad he picked this because this is so goddamn good. So <laughs> it was like the first time I chose a book that Livius ended up liking, I think. This might be this might be a first for us. So all right. So this I want to point out one thing about this. Um this was a collection that was released by Coffee House Press. And um when they released this collection, they also did uh, simultaneously re-released three of Brian's other titles, uh, The Open Curtain, um, Last Days, and not The Open Curtain again, something else. That's weird. They're showing the same book cover twice on their website, so I don't really know what that's about, but I promise you there's a third, and I don't have it with me. Bummer. Anyway, so if you're grabbing that book, go ahead and grab his other stuff too. Um, Livius highly recommends la- uh, Last Days, right? Yes, I very highly recommend Last Days. Yeah, so if you're picking up The Collapse of Horses from Coffee House Press, the reason I'm saying pick up the other books too that they re-released is because they released the four books with a, a book cover 
um, that when the four books are put together, uh, reveals a greater picture. So each book has its own kind of picture, but it's a part of a larger uh, picture that is put together by all four covers. So if uh, if you're new to Evanson, this is a great time to dive in, get multiple books that are awesome and have a really interesting looking cover. It's it's cool looking. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But you know, it occurred to me, how do you display that? Um, because it's you'd have to so to explain for people who haven't seen it, you'd, <laughs> you'd have to lay all four books flat, so you'd almost have to display them like on a coffee table because you couldn't put them in a bookcase. Yeah, unless you have a, a very specifically designed bookcase. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Maybe Coffee House Press will release the bookcase. There you go. Keep an eye out for. We'll call it, we'll we'll call them up and we'll we'll get them on it. We'll and we'll have them name it the booked case. Oh, perfect, perfect. It all circles back to us, doesn't it? It always. <laughs> it's never not. It's never not. All right, you ready to uh to move on to some other things? Yeah, we got some news. We actually have some top stories to talk about this uh this week. Feel like we should have that din 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 like the news thing the way you said that like we actually have stuff or we should try to talk like Skip Papersley. Yeah, let's um let's 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 go to the sad stuff first. So um a couple of literary deaths um this week a day apart I believe um Harper Lee uh passed away and then that was followed nearly immediately by Umberto Eco. Now Harper Lee. Of course, Rob, you know who Harper Lee is. Everyone knows who Harper Lee is. Yeah, wrote uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. I think the biggest surprise was that Harper Lee was still alive. I think that might have caught a lot of people off guard. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, you're joking because, you know, the book just came out, right? Well, no, I know the book just came out, but that book was written like many, many years years ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Here's the thing. When that book came out, I think everybody was still surprised that she was alive. Um, Cause that's, that's a writer who right. completely dropped off the face of the earth um, many years ago. And then when you start to talk about people, you know, my age, even older, you know, they remember from their childhood and they assume that was somebody that was old then and wrote, it, so they have to be gone by now. <laughs> well, when you think about it, the stuff that was being taught that you read in school, right? So I don't remember when we read that, maybe seventh, eighth grade or whatever. You assume that book had been around for a really long time at that point. Um, right. So, yeah. And then uh, Umberto Eco, are you familiar at all with him? I have to plead ignorance on this one, uh, aside from understanding that a lot of people held held him in high regard. Yeah. So he was a uh, an Italian author um, and he had a book that I tried reading probably 20 ish years ago. And uh, it, it never uh, it never worked out and <laughs> never was never able to get into it. Um, <laughs> the Name of the Rose, which I, I might be his his most heralded yeah. book. Um, so sad to see him go. I know he was also known for, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, the, the Folk Cults Pendulum mm-hmm. yeah. um, is, is the other one, I believe, is his his best uh, his other best known work. And those are translated into 40 million languages or something. So definitely one of those international um, best-selling cats. Uh, sorry to see him go. Um, probably won't be reviewing any of his stuff since he's probably not putting out a lot of new stuff. So uh yeah if i was drinking anything besides water i would pour some out for our homies dude you wouldn't pour anything out that beer you buy is like costs more than like gold by the ounce so (laughs) not all of it just some of it you'd pour it out into your mouth well i mean that counts right well i guess it's it's leaving the bottle yeah (laughs) yeah puddle on the floor in your your apartment it's not exactly (laughs) the tribute that umberto echo is looking for so uh yeah 
Well, you know, it's something. No, they say it comes in threes. Did we lose any other? Did we lose any other writers that I'm not aware of? Um, I don't even have a. I don't have a funny or serious answer to that. Okay, I was just checking because yeah. usually people will stretch it to something else, you know, just to make it fit. Yeah, but yeah, I know. I think that was it. Well, but yeah, that is that is a hard hit to take, and like I said, a 24 hour period for the the literary community. Here, I always take issue with people mourning the death of people who are really fucking old, though. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like they were, they're gonna, it's gonna eventually happen, right? And Harper Lee, I mean, it's not like she was like super healthy and doing cartwheels and stuff. She had some serious problems. So you don't know this. You don't know any of this. You just made some stuff up. Each, you think I'm trying to justify their deaths? <laughs> no, I'm just saying you don't know she wasn't doing cartwheels. I, I think you just hit on something really great. What if we could commit like euthanasia after the fact? Like they already died. We just make it sound like it was the right choice. <laughs> God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we should mention these because it was mention worthy. I didn't think that we would turn all of all of you know literature against us through 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 mentioning uh, these people. All right, all right. So I should uh, you you don't want me to talk anymore? Is what's no, no. On. You could talk all you want. <laughs> I just I think it might be a good idea. Maybe it's a really bad idea. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Let's right. let's move on to something else. How's that? Here's one. Talk about some good ideas. Yes. I got a message from someone recently. I can't remember who sent this to me, but I'm glad they did because I'm thinking about picking up the pen again. Oh, do tell. This sounds interesting. So (laughs) I didn't really read too much about this, so we might have to discover this together as we talk. But apparently there is um, a competition going on, and I call it that because on the website it says the competition. Well, that would be Um, a good reason, I guess, (laughs) Where you could submit uh, a treatment and a sample chapter of a book to James Patterson. And if you win the competition, the prize is you are his next co-author on a book. Oh, this doesn't sound this doesn't sound bad at all. This sounds like you're a shoe-in. I know, right? <laughs> so I read through it, it. It bears kind of picking into some of this a little bit. Um, so I'm going to read parts of the website. The James Patterson co-author writing competition is a once in a lifetime opportunity for students enrolled in James's master class. Oh, see, I'm not enrolled in his master class. No, no, no. But we listen, listen, we have funds. We do. All right. So let me continue then. Um, once in a lifetime opportunity in master class to win the chance of co-authoring a book with James. Oh, while the ultimate prize is to become James Patterson's co-author, Masterclass is also awarding cash prizes for semifinalists and finalists. I'm sure that that cash prize also includes them owning the rights to your book. So, oh my God! So here, so I, I'm familiar with the Masterclass. As a matter of fact, it was it was shared with us um, a couple of times, I think, on the on the listening group when it started. Yeah, um, some time ago. So here is. Here's how this works. There are 22 video lessons and exercises. So James Patterson sat down for like three or four hours and made some videos. Um, then, you know, you can share and you will get feedback. Are you ready from this? From other students. <laughs> so you can pay 90 bucks to watch some videos where James Patterson, um, which I'll be honest with you, 
It's only 22 lessons totaling three plus hours of video. That means it's only one fifth of the chapters that he's going to recommend you put in your book <laughs> because each James Patterson book has around a hundred yeah. chapters. I believe. Yeah. 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 So it's the first third of the book. There must be a, um, what comes after your master's degree, a doctorate class. There's yeah, probably a doctorate yeah. class. If you get through the 22. Yeah. Where you can, so you can pay 90 bucks, watch some videos. You can have other students critique your work. Um, and maybe James himself, but it says maybe James himself. Uh, and then out of those people who do that and submit, one of them will be chosen to be a co-author of his next book. Now, here's how I'm seeing this. They set it up. They're doing okay. They're making some money on these three-hour videos. What do you think the increase in the subscription for the class is? when one of those people will be chosen to become a best-selling author, right? Because that's that's a guarantee. That's pretty much the point. guarantee, yeah. Um, so how many aspiring writers, how many, how many established writers are signing up for this at a chance to be the little name the, on the, the James small Patterson print. book? Yeah. Now, I, I'm with you. There, I mean, it's going to go through the roof, right? It, the master class is probably going to get more enrollment in colleges and blah blah blah. It's going to be a huge thing, right? I would have to imagine. And at ninety bucks, I mean, ninety bucks for a writing course is probably really cheap if you look at like Lit Reactor pricing. The difference is that you actually get an instructor that works with you on it. You don't just watch videos <laughs> yeah. of an instructor telling you how to do shit, right? So here's what they're looking. Are you ready for what they're looking for for this uh, competition? I am ready. Come up with a great idea that you think could be the next best-selling mystery or thriller. Then submit a one-page summary, a sample chapter, and a two-sentence hook for your story idea. Your submission should have mass market appeal and resonate with James's writing style. Right there, if you could figure out James's writing style, you know, that's like 90% of the effort, I'm guessing. It should have a gripping hook. For example, think Rosemary's Baby's hook. Not baby's hook, but the hook of Rosemary's Baby. A woman finds herself pregnant with the devil. Immediately, the reader thinks, this is going to be cool. I'm reading this word for word off the website. I'm not embellishing this. <laughs> the book should also feature characters we care about. And I'm thinking back to Zoo. Yeah. Characters we care about, Livius. Yep. We either love them or hate them, but we're not indifferent towards them. And finally, the story should be fast-paced, with every chapter moving the plot and characters to forward, imagine your story unfolding scene by scene like a movie. Listen, it's worth the 90 bucks, and here's what we do. We send in the synopsis saying a woman is pregnant with the babies, with the devil's <laughs> baby. So we follow step one. <laughs> then I think we just take Zoo, and just every time they mention an animal, we talk about the devil's baby. And just word for word, line for line, rewrite it, substituting where it says, you know, was that a lion or a tiger or whatever got loose yeah, in yeah. chapter two? We just say the devil's baby. <laughs> oh, how could we not win? Can I tell you that although this is all, you know, in good fun and whatever, and it, and it definitely seems like a money grab. Did you see the other fucking classes they offer? No, <laughs> this might be the best of them. Oh, uh, really? Because, okay, no, let's be fair. He's going to 
talk to you about writing story and dialogue and compelling characters. Now, you could do that in a video. There's no interaction. But you know what? You read books on writing. Well, you don't. But people do, right? And it's kind of the same thing. Serena Williams teaches tennis. <laughs> I just saw that. Dustin Hoffman teaches acting. And Usher teaches the art of performance. Now, you know, acting and, and I don't know what Usher's going to teach. I, I, I mean, what that means, the art of performance. But fucking tennis videos, 90 bucks. I'm assuming it's 90 bucks. I'm going to click on it. 90 bucks. Take the class. So you can probably watch three plus hours of video on on how to on how yeah. to play tennis yeah. and yeah. then a chance to be serena's doubles partner in the fucking olympics or something i'm guessing right because that's, <laughs> that's gonna that's, be what it is yeah yeah um, duet with dustin hoffman or not a duet what is that what would that be i don't even know it'd be a duet with usher what would you do with an actor nothing right you'd have yeah. a uh star in his next movie yeah you'd be a like a you'd have a role in his next movie or something yeah oh my god man holy shit <laughs> christina is aguilera terrible. is coming up So, there you go, all you writers who uh, who listen to this podcast. This is your chance at um, being the, the the fine print on a subpar book. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting. I just God, I wish I had access to the numbers. A, what the master class was before, and B, what the master class is now in subscriptions for. Yeah, yeah craziness man craziness um that being said if you head over to masterclass.com slash booked we now have master classes <laughs> where we will teach you how to podcast we will teach you how to hate and mercilessly make fun of anything really yeah really 90 bucks and um one student one lucky student <laughs> will get it will get a chance to co-host a podcast with us so head over there now, guys, and uh, and sign up. This isn't bullshit like the Patterson one. We're serious. We're serious. Yeah, this is going to happen. All right. <clears throat> we got anything else? Um, we do. Um, and this this probably would have gone unmentioned if, if the wrong decisions were made. So several episodes ago, we talked about all the people who, who, who weren't Bram Stoker Award nominees. Yeah. Uh, seems like that was a long time ago, doesn't it? It, it feels like months ago. Yeah. Well, guess what? We now have actual Stoker Award nominees. Um, and, and I'm probably going to keep this pretty short, to be honest with you, because um, all, all the all the horses we have running are, are in one category. And that uh, that category is, what do they call it? They don't call it Novel of the Year. Well, what's it called, Rob? Do you, do you have it up Sup- by chance? Superior Achievement in a Novel. Right. So two books that we reviewed are included in that. Um, the Scarlet Gops- Gospels by <laughs> Clive Barker. A little weird, man, because I don't—I didn't really feel that was a great book. Um, but there is a great book. Would you like to tell there, people what the great book is that is officially now a Stoker uh, Award nominee? Yeah, the the I, I think we named it the the booked book of the year 2015, right? Yeah, ahead, we are so ahead of these Stoker people. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, a head full of ghosts by our man Paul Tremblay. Yeah, a very, very deserving nomination. Um, definitely ahead of, of the Clive Barker book, ahead of Scarlet Gospels. I can barely compare that because I did read. Um, we did read both of them, and, and we both rated it uh, significantly higher than we did the, the Scarlet Gospels. But, yep. man, you can't count out the return of Pinhead for putting putting your fucking name in the, in a drawing, right? Like a nominee list. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it, 
you know better than I do because you're more familiar with like the whole Hellraiser, um, you know, series and world and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But like, that's, I mean, this is, it's not a breakout novel for Paul, but it's probably the most commercially successful one he's had. So it's kind of like at the beginning of his, his mainstream arc. Mm-hmm. And Clive Barker's been around forever, man. He's a legend. Yes, he is. And and that's not to take away from, yeah, from his career. I just don't see how this book, you know, how, how, man, I don't know. I don't see how it yeah. got on, how it got on the, the final list of nominees ahead of Skullcrack City, BTW, which was also a non-nominee or whatever the hell they were calling it. Oh, we had a funny word for it. And I can't remember. Yeah, whatever it was, that terrible at <laughs> any rate. Um, so congratulations to Paul. Um, I, I, I can't, I, I don't know. I can't say it because we didn't read the other three. Now, I had messaged Rob earlier and asked him if we should read one of the other three for the podcast. Here's what I'm going to say about that. Based on the synopses of those three books and having read <laughs> Scarlet Gospels, there's not a fucking chance in hell that Paul's not going to win this award. <laughs> oh, one of them is published by Sam Hain, which just got had some, I can't remember, there was some controversy about them, like they were fucking over the writers or something like that. Yeah, well, yeah, that's possible. One self-published, which was really interesting to see that there is a self-published book on the list. Um, I, I I don't know why. I mean, I, I understand how the nomination process works and stuff, but I, I also always assume that like Bram Stoker would always be non-self-pubbed. Right. More mainstream. Yeah. And not, not even mainstream, you know, I mean, that there could be some, some, you know, some lesser known. Right. Uh, st- I just didn't think, yeah, when I saw that, I was really, really surprised and, and it, it's totally cool, you know, but, uh. I was I was surprised to see it. So if you want, there are three books on there that we have not read that we can read. Um, we could pick one and do that. Um, if it's up to me, I'm going to pass. Okay. Then we will pass. <laughs> but um, that means we're not 100% sure what we're reviewing a week from now. A week plus from now. Yeah, that, that is exactly what that means. Um so I mean, here's here's the thing. I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, there's there's still time before the nominees. So if you've really got something good to say about either Black Tide, The Cure, or The Deep, maybe you can convince us to read one of these. Um, if not, I'm going back to Amazon and scrolling for hours until we we find something that uh, <laughs> that, that we can review next week. <laughs> yeah, if you're Michael Brent Collins and you're uh, listening to this, that's the self-published author. You could sway us to to review your book. Dude, Michael Brent as one, I was going to say word, but just one name. It's Michael Brent. Like, Michael Brent. Yeah. And, and I thought that was, um, I thought that was a typo, but now it's, it's, that's what it is on Amazon too. Interesting. It's not swaying me. The name alone is not swaying me. No, no. And, and, and like I said, read the synopses, just, just do yourself a favor and read them and then be like, <laughs> oh, Paul is a fucking shoe in for this fucking thing. Looking forward to Paul winning that award. It's yeah. going to be nice. Because I'm going to take, in in my mind, in my heart, I'll feel like I had some sort of part of that. Sure, absolutely. Because it's all about us. Hey, speaking of us, we, collectively, maybe mostly me, um, kind, of, kind of told listeners they were going to hear a different kind of recording before they heard this. Can you Can you give us a little bit of information on what happened there? Yeah, so there is, like we mentioned in the previous episode, about 40, 30, 30 to 40 minutes of... Me and Ryan McRae, the marketing intern, uh, in a car, in a road trip to buy some beer, um, talking about this and that, and um, we didn't play it this this week, and I think the reason is because we found uh, Brian Evanson, 
instead. So that's still coming. Um, I we're gonna. I don't know if we wait too long, it's just not going to be relevant anymore. So we probably want to put it up. We just don't know what to do with it. It's kind of an orphan right now. So uh, yeah, if you hear it, know. it is not officially a booked episode, and there's reasons for that. Uh, <laughs> so if you it, it's definitely bonus wow. material. Livius is putting distance, but I mean, it does not include Livius for even one second. So, yep. and that's, that's not, not why there, there's there's a there's a scheme to our numbering that that that's important. So yeah, <laughs> I, I listened to it. I got to tell you, it's 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 entertaining. So I, I enjoyed it. Hey, maybe I'll put it. I don't know YouTube. I don't know. We can we can do something with it. Yeah, if it goes up, it has to not have a number. I think is what happens. Yeah. We never had an episode zero. Oh, like uh, the zero, yeah. Some what, people we used that. to do zeros a lot. For a while, when I was a kid, comic books started coming up with like issue zero of things. It's all a bunch of bullshit. It is pretty much a bunch of bullshit. So we're going to add to that bullshit by putting this episode up but not calling it an episode, I think, somehow, some way. Well, I mean, the worst thing that could happen is like it's it's it's, it's episode zero of an entirely different podcast. There you go. The the boys in cars getting beer. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of a take on the Jerry Seinfeld thing. Mm -hmm. I watched Um, exactly one of those. Would you like to guess which one I watched? Did it have Rick Springfield? No. Wait, comedians, comedians. Um, I have no idea. But it wasn't a comedian. No. Oh, no. Just tell me. Uh, The Obama one. Oh. I actually watched the one where he was with President Obama, who is not a comedian, although he's funny at times. He is. That dude can be funny. Are we going to do election coverage at all? I guess we should talk about this. It's only a few months out now. Are we going to go political? Booked election coverage? Do you vote? No. No. And I got to be honest (laughs) with you. The current current, um, crop of people that are running for president is not encouraging me to do so. I got a plan. I got a voting plan. Bernie Sanders, I'm assuming. I'm voting for Bernie Sanders in the primary. And uh, then I'm voting for whoever gets the... uh, who win, whoever wins the Democratic nomination. That's me. Even if it's Hillary Clinton? Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, that's that's where I would... <laughs> if I had to vote right now, if there yeah. was some type of process where I was required to, I would probably vote for Bernie Sanders. And then if Hillary Clinton won, I, I would probably have to vote for somebody that's not Hillary Clinton. See, here's the thing, though. Like, the Dems could put up like fucking Rod Blagojevich still in prison, and I would vote for him before I'd vote for whoever's in the Republican Party right now. Um, yeah, I got to tell you, it is it is like it's a comedy of errors. And, you know, it, it's funny because I keep seeing the big things that happen, even though I'm not following it. Yeah. So yeah. I just happened to be in front of live TV when they were all coming out for that uh, that caucus oh, thing, and like nobody could figure <laughs> out. Like, what's... <laughs> So I saw that, and then of course I saw eighteen thousand gifs of it the next day, you know. But I actually watched that and like the first three questions. And what was interesting, I'd actually watched the ABC nightly news, yeah, like three nights before that, and the stories were, um, you know, uh, um, whoever's camp said that the Ben Carson wasn't running anymore, and then there was another story about Trump doing something, and then these were like the first three questions they asked were all from that newscast. But the thing that got me was it's the anchor of that newscast that was asking those questions. It was like just this weird, I don't, I don't know, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that the thank you internet for teaching us about things like super delegates and, and all this stuff. Cause you know, they've been around forever, not literally forever, but you know what? 
you ever heard of super delegate before you know like three weeks ago yeah really yep i think most people because that's every article i saw was explaining what super delegates were which made me believe that i wasn't the only person that had no idea what a super delegate was yeah it was uh let's just say that back in 2008 i paid a lot of attention to the presidential election all right that was a little little cryptic and weird but okay I, I was obsessed i couldn't let it go man like every day i'm watching like you know polling uh predictions and fucking debates and anything that was happening political mm-hmm. i had like seven different websites i would refresh like hourly if not more um i was just in deep and well, um if we need was... a correspondent for this then you're gonna be our guy yeah i got burned out man i can't i can't talk about politics anymore so but now I'm feeling the burn. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, you know, and I don't know. I don't know if all the memes and that feel the burn is actually helping or, or hurting <laughs> that guy's chances. Because I tend to take him less seriously because of that type of stuff, if that makes sense. I realize it has nothing to do with him, but you can only see so many Bernie Sanders memes before you start not thinking of him as a person and thinking of him as a meme right. celebrity. All I'm going to say is it might not be four years from now, but eight years from now, the entire like face of how politics works is going to be noticeably different. All the baby boomers are going to be dead. There's going to be millennials all over the place and jobs and making kids and stuff. Shit's going to change. Do you not think those people will become the baby boomers, though? Do you not think every generation says exactly that about their, you know, who their parents voted for and. Well, yeah, yeah, but um, yes, I can't believe we're talking about politics. This is I can't crazy. either because I don't know a goddamn thing about it, so you I'm really winging it here. Veronica Chaos or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah, you want to talk about that? Let's not talk about no. that. I have not done enough research to be able to talk about that. Uh, yeah. Um, so I'll be voting. Livius won't. Life is good. Life is good. Hey, do you want to do one of those weird vague book kind of things where we talk about something really cool that potentially could be happening for us, but we don't talk about what it is? Uh, of course. All right. So I don't guys, even know what listen, you mean, but yeah, something very potentially very, very cool could be happening for the boys that booked, but we can't talk about what it is. Now I know what you mean. And it could be really, really damn cool. Yeah. Um, more to come. Eventually, Maybe. or we'll never mention it again. <laughs> or it'll just never, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, if you don't mention your possible successes, you never have to talk about your actual failures. This is—it's a very, very good point you make there. <laughs> so, any rate, yeah, I do that to mock other people. You know, I've told like two people that this is a possibility. Like that's yeah. that's it. Like I don't, yeah. So, but I thought it would be fun to 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 be that person that I don't get to be online ever. So. Big casting vague casting so all right we have no idea what's up next time it's probably going to be a book i'm guessing or nothing or maybe you'll hear ryan and rob driving to buy expensive beer Um, but until then i'm livia snudden and i'm rob olson keep reading